Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Hey, don't forget we have our regular Sunday service this Sunday and on Monday next week we will have our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. We've got a great band. We're just going to be doing some Christmas carols by candlelight and uh, it's one of my favorite things we do. Now for this message, uh, this last weekend we had speaker, author Jonathan Martin in. I was working on recording an audiobook for his How to Survive a Shipwreck book. Which, great book. You ought to go read it or wait for the audiobook. <laughs> and he is he spoke at North Shore Vineyard last Sunday. The message is, even now the axe is laid to the root. Talking about John the Baptist and judgment and why judgment is a good thing. So let's head to North Shore Vineyard. Thanks for listening. So, Jonathan Martin, the one who makes me look like a hobbit next to him. I, I posted a picture last time. <laughs> Call me Frodo. Somebody took a picture of us last time and posted it online. And, like, I was sitting down. Like, I just looked like a little kid. But Thank you for that. I am, uh, I am kind of a looming ogre. That is what I do. Yeah, you, of course you can. And by the way, we're, we're going to receive a love offering for Jonathan at the end of the service today. So, it, you know, so you better speak good. Oh, okay, yeah, so the, the pressure is on. Thank you for that. Wow, I'm so excited to be back with you guys. And Crispin, sincerely, you know I love you and I love your church. So thank you. I, I, I feel like a bit of an imposition. You know, he had offered so generously, uh, generously about the audiobook, And it really was like, well, hey. I'm free next week, you know, what do you think? So, and I know he has so much going on, as all of you do, for the holidays, and it's just really special for me to get to be here uh, this Advent with you and get to share in the joy of this season in my favorite part of the world. So, I'm super grateful to be here, so thankful. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. And I don't mean to sound surprised when I say this, but um, I did get in kind of in the middle of the night, and um, a lot of things going on right now, good things, but just on the move a lot, and uh, I, I feel like I really have a word from the Lord this morning, and I was like, wow, I think I really have a word from the Lord this morning. Imagine that. <laughs> it's like, I hate to say I was surprised. I was like, I wasn't quite looking for that. That's, that's good news. Um, but yeah, before we, we dive into the text, let's just uh, let's pray one more time. God, I'm so thankful for this particular community, for these particular people. I'm thankful for my friend Crispin and the authenticity of his voice and his witness, his pastoral heart, his hospitality to me, and just the ways that uh, already the, the folks here just make me feel so at home. Really, we're thankful today for the gift of each other. And I just pray now that in the midst of this time that is really all about longing and expectation and desire and hope, but also longing and hope that's stirred up in the midst of 
all sorts of other complicated things. We just ask for your grace this morning. I pray that you would speak to us exactly where we are, so that wherever we come from and whatever we bring into this space, that we would just, our hearts would be open and quiet and still, receptive, humble, uh, just truly able to hear the word of God as the people of God. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I'm going to a text this morning. Um, for people who kind of follow the, the lectionary, this is the gospel reading for this morning. And it doesn't feel like an Advent text. Don't think in reading this that uh, you'll hear it and be singing, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas based on this. But I love the whole concept of what Crispin shared with you last week about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a key figure in Advent. And he is an awfully good opening act. And I want to return to John the Baptist this morning. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. John, the Baptist, said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, I want you to really hear this verse. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds ask him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and what then should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Ho, 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 everybody. <laughs> Our Advent text. I don't often have a kind of democratic moment in sermons, but I'm going to have a legitimate one right here. There, this is a real crowd participation, participation thing, and I take your input very seriously. Um, I know when it comes to like good news and bad news, 
Some people like to hear the bad news first. Some people want to hear the good news first. So I will legitimately leave this up to the wisdom of the room. Would you rather hear the good news first or the bad news first? What would what, you choose? Your bad news first? Okay, fair enough. This is part of the news of Advent, but I think it's the, the news of Advent that we don't often share. The bad news is that when we talk about Advent as the coming of God, that part of that proclamation is the judgment of God is coming. That's the bad news. The judgment of God is coming. The good news about Advent is that the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. That is the bad news and the good news. Advent from the beginning has always been about the words of the prophet Isaiah, that the time will come when every valley shall be exalted and the mountains will be made low. So if Advent is clearing space, is anticipating the time in which every valley will be exalted and every mountain will be made low, then whether or not the coming of God is good news, whether or not the judgment of God is good news, has an awful lot to do with where you're standing. Because <laughs> if you're in the valley, good news. The valleys are going to be exalted. But if you're on the mountaintop... The coming of God is not always the most amazing news. So it's interesting how the same, the same proclamation of the judgment of God coming can be good for some and bad for others. Isn't it interesting that even as John, as the forerunner to Jesus, is preparing the way, how is he doing that? He's addressing the inequality among his own people. Soldiers, stop extorting people. Tax collectors, uh, stop shaking people down. Um, take care of the poor. Share what you have with somebody else. That's, that's so interesting because I feel like a lot of the messages I've heard in my life about repentance, that is not what, what those sermons were about. But that's what John the Baptist proclamation is about, is that the world in its current condition is an unjust place. And if you want to make space for God, repent of that. Change your mind. Turn from your injustice. Offer what you have for, for somebody else. I'm, uh, I feel like this is the unsexiest start for a sermon ever. But the phrase that particularly, though, is, is just kind of glowing in my brain this morning. And this really doesn't feel like Advent, maybe. But I'm so intrigued by that phrase where John says that even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I think what the judgment of God ultimately is about is that God comes in such a way to where we have to acknowledge the reality of things that are dead and dying. And, and, and part of what it means to make space then for the coming of God is that um, we allow room for that kind of judgment. Not that God is coming in killing anything. It's more like God is coming to deal with that which is already dead. If the tree isn't bearing fruit, then it's not useful anymore. And I think that's part of what's so challenging for all of us and how we attempt to make space for the coming of God this season is we have to reflect on what are the things in our lives that are dead and dying 
where maybe some things need to be uprooted, as painful as it might be. Maybe this is part of what it means to make space for the king, is to make space for the judgment of God in this way. Um, I realize that even when I talk about the judgment of God, that immediately that calls to mind an awful lot of images. I mean, even in this text, we have language of fire and, uh, you know, how that which does not bear good fruit thrown into unquenchable fire. But I have to tell you that how I think about the fire of God and how I think about the judgment of God has changed tremendously. There was a time in my life when the judgment of God was the thing I was most afraid of. All my, the sermons I heard growing up about rapture and end times and end of the world. And it's funny, you guys, I'm not trying to get into a whole theological thing, but sometimes I feel like the, you know, the great melancholy of my life is that I grew up thinking that God was going to burn down the world. That was inevitable. God was going to come and he's going to like just, just burn down the world. And inevitably God's going to like wipe everybody out. Um, I don't have time to give you all the reasons for this this morning, but I don't, really believe that anymore. And yet now I'm at a place in my life where I'm pretty convinced we're going to burn down the world and destroy every human living thing. So it kind of sucks either way, you know what I'm saying? Because one way or the other, like, man, I went from frying pan into the fire. Before I thought God was going to do it. Now I think we're doing it to ourselves, but you know, either way, it's not working out awesome. <laughs> you know, what I've come to believe is that the judgment of God at this point is not something to be run from, but a thing to be welcomed. Because the judgment of God is not like our judgment. The justice of God is not like our justice. It's not about retribution. It's never been about retribution. Even in this text, when John calls his people for, uh, to, to repent, it's not about retribution. It's about making things right. Do you hear the difference with that? It's not about retribution. It's about restoration. Where things have been unequal, they need to be leveled out. Where the the you know where where some have been on the mountain while other people are forced to live in the valley with or without their consent, there needs to be a leveling out. And the judgment of God ultimately is never about retribution. It's not about getting anybody back. It's not about payback. It's about setting things right. It's about bringing things into order. And I think maybe in some ways for the first time in my life, I actually trust God's judgment in such a way to where I can actually be reckless enough to pray for it. I really do. Pray for the judgment of God. Because I think God's judgment is good. And another little spoiler alert here. In the same way that I don't think God's judgment is like my judgment, because it's not about retribution, it's about restoration. I also don't think God's fire... Is like my fire. My fire is about, you know, like like burning people up. And it's funny, too, because ostensibly I try to be a very sweet person. But like anybody else, I'm very sweet until somebody does something that directly offends me. And then I want death and destruction for them. I, I pray for... God to move and heal and restore for people in ISIS. But if you cut me off in traffic, I want to condemn you to a devil's hell for eternity. You understand what I'm saying? Like when I'm infringed upon in some way, that is immediately how, where that movement goes. 
But I'm convinced that God's fire is not like my fire. It was revelatory for me when for the first time in my life I started reading more in the Orthodox Church. And I got a very different perspective on the fire of God. There's that really dark, evocative text in Peter that talks about the day that will come when, oh, oh my goodness, when things will be destroyed and uh, kicked over and, <laughs> and large preachers will make chaos of things. No, it's, uh, the text is actually about the fire that will come that will, you know, burn up the, the earth and you know, just burn the elements. One of those really scary judgment texts. Never will forget when I was reading uh, a selection from Brother Sergis Bolkogov. I don't know why it just seemed funny to me right there to use my Pentecostal brother with the Eastern Orthodox, with Brother Sergis Bolkogov. And Bolkogov is commenting on Peter, and he says, uh, talking about, because you know, when the Holy Spirit is first poured out, that, that John talks about how the Holy Spirit is going to come with fire and baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. And, of course, in the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire rest on their head. And so what Bolkogov says about Peter is that the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, like the, the Spirit of God is going to bring the, the flames of Pentecost to transfigure the earth. That was the phrase. I thought, wow. I felt like my whole world turned upside down in about three seconds. This passage that for me was all about everything just being destroyed, annihilated, could it actually be about the flames of Pentecost that come to transfigure the earth, that come to transform? My fire destroys, but surely God's fire is not like my fire. God's fire is not about destruction. God's fire is about purification. God's fire is not about annihilation. God's fire transfigures. God's fire, it is through the heat that we are able to be transformed. It is through the heat. This is one of the reasons now I find myself more able to pray on my best days for the judgment of God because I trust that the fire that comes from God's presence is not out to annihilate me, but to transfigure me, to make me whole, to make me right. And sometimes there's no other way it can happen except through, through that heat, through that flame. Is any of this making sense at all? You know, um, I'm thinking, though, I'm, and I'm going to move back and forth between those images. The axe laid to the root of the tree and the fire. Those are the images of judgment we have here. You know, the, the axe being laid to the root of the tree. I feel like right now, and it's so funny the things I hear myself saying these days. I, I hear myself saying things and thinking, man, the younger version of me 10 years ago, I just couldn't imagine saying some of those. I'm surprised to hear some of these things coming out of my mouth. Because I feel like sometimes I say things now that probably sound like, I don't know, what, what some angry fundamentalist is yelling on a street corner some way, some, you know, some place. But I, I, don't, I don't mean it the same way. I'm saying some of the same things, but I don't mean it the same way. I talk about God's judgment coming. I don't mean it the same way that they mean it. And in that same spirit, you know, I feel like right now, I very much feel like in our nation, in the world right now, this very much feels like to me a season of judgment. My discernment could be off on that, but I don't think it is. 
I think part of what's scary, though, about a season of judgment is that the axe is being laid to the root of the tree, so old structures and systems are toppling. Now, once again, whether or not that's good news or bad news depends on where you're standing. So if you've been oppressed, if you've been in the shadow of the oppressor, if you've been in the valley, that's not, that's not bad news for you. But those of us who have been on the mountaintop, this doesn't feel so great. I'm a six-foot-five white man, and people like me have basically been able to run the world however we want to, take advantage of whoever we want to. It's like the whole, the whole world is our candy store. And so I think in the shaking that's happening in the world right now, a lot of people like me are rightly nervous because we've been on the mountaintop. And the people who have been in authority in the past, the people who've had the microphone in the past, all that shaking and trembling, the power structures and systems that, uh, that worked before, they're not working the same way now. And in that time of judgment, the new thing hasn't yet fully appeared. All we know is the axe is being laid to the root of the tree, and we feel it because the tree is wobbling. And we don't know which direction it's going to fall. And, you know, there, there's something that can be really scary about that. But, you know, I'm just coming to believe again, even when the axe is laid to the root of the tree, what judgment so often is about, I think, is an acknowledgement of what already is. Some of these systems and structures have been dead for a very long time. We just said they were alive. I feel like that's been so much of what this last season of my life was about. A lot of things that have been dead for a long time. But I couldn't name them as, I couldn't name it as such. It was too painful to admit that some things were dead and dying. It was too painful to admit that some things maybe needed to be uprooted. I couldn't say that. Now, there's a tension here because on the one hand, I think there's a real way in which death is an enemy that God comes to overthrow. So I think about the words of the theologian David Bentley Hart. When I see the death of a child, I do not see the face of God, but the face of God's enemy. That rings very true to me. And yet there's also a way that death is a natural part of just living. I realize that's a weird, I'm not trying to sound like Yoda this morning. I know that sounds so cryptic. But do you hear what I'm saying? There's another way that death is really part of living. I've spent so much of my life terrified about who might die, how they might die. I legitimately sometimes think I have a straightforward phobia of death. Maybe you can help me with this, any of my psychologically inclined friends. I, like, I can be fixated with it. But, you know, I've kind of, there really is a way, uh, to use a phrase from Catherine Dowling Singh, there's a grace in dying. And really, what we know about how the world works, even how the universe works, this isn't just the story of Jesus. This is the story of all created things is that whenever something dies, whenever someone dies, there's always resurrection that comes on the other side. Old things are always passing away. But there's a real way in which things are being made new. And with every death, with, every, with everything that dies, there's always new life that comes out of it. Always new life. And there really is a grace that comes in that process. I think part of what has taken me so long to see some of the things that God, I think, was doing in my life for a long time, part of the reason I've made things more complicated than they need to be is that I don't trust that process. I too often have not trusted that resurrection comes on the other side of death. 
It's interesting being back here and the fact that we're recording the audio book for How to Survive a Shipwreck this week because I wrote so much of that here in my favorite city. And I don't know. I just think there's something that happens. This has always been true when I preach, when I write. I always preach further ahead than where I am, not on purpose, not like lying. Like I just, I go there in my head before the rest of me can catch up. And I feel like now, even when I wrote that book, coming out of the darkest season of my life, I was trying to write myself to shore. And I was seeing some things. But I wasn't really there yet. And I didn't know that I wasn't really there yet until I started actually getting there. I didn't plan to say any of these things. You can probably tell. That's like a lot of my sermons. People sometimes say, like, well, tell me afterwards. Like, I just didn't know what you were going to say next. And I'm like, I didn't either. So the... The suspense is real. It's actual for all of us. But I had this um, about, oh, I don't know, about two months ago, I went to Ireland. And it was, it was dual purposes for this trip. So I don't know if you call this ministry or pleasure. I spoke three times. I saw you two in Dublin four times. So however you want to categorize that trip. U2 is my favorite rock band of all time. I've been to an embarrassing 27 shows. It's really ridiculous. I went to every single one of those shows by myself. General admission on the floor, which is the way I love to do it. And I'm to somebody, I got to thank you for that, amen. Um, I had one of the best weeks I've ever had in my life. I really did. Like, it was an amazing week. But in an interesting way. Because I've been through so much transition. I moved to Nashville, Tennessee in... Uh, May, and was in Oklahoma for three years before that, and so many things in my life have moved and, sh- and shifted and changed. And I just had this sense somehow, when I had that trip to Ireland, I felt like the Holy Spirit had been preparing me for this, that it was like a, it was a final goodbye from this long season. You know, all these things that I feel like for years, I feel like the Lord has been trying to teach me how to let go and finally, I just felt like I was sort of at that, at that place where I think I really have let go. And I can't tell you how euphoric that whole week felt. Just this sense of really letting go of that which is old. And this long season that's been so much about death and dying, really giving way to something else. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I share that as a kind of testimony this morning. But I will tell you that, you know, that's been hard fought to get to that place. Because I've clung on to stuff for a long time. Part of what I think happened is finally coming to a place of feeling like, I don't think I have that much left to lose. And that's all right. It's okay. I don't need my life to turn out any particular way to know that God is good and to believe that life is beautiful. I'm all right. I'm all right. And there's this wonderful kind of just, just, just letting go, this, this sense of trust. And I don't even know what all this means yet, but I've just sensed for so long that there's, there's just all this new life coming around the corner. And, I'm, and, and see, I'm saying this very strategically because really that's what Advent is about. Clearing out the old so there's space for the new. Clearing out the things that are already dead and dying to make space for the new. And sometimes even when something's dead, dead and dying, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it wasn't useful. It just might have served its intended purpose. Even good things come to an end. And sometimes the appropriate thing, the right thing, is to dignify that relationship, that job, that opportunity, that dream, is to dignify it with with a good funeral. (laughs) 
honor it for what it's been. Here's how God has used this thing in this season of my life. But that may not be what God is doing now. That may not be what's coming next. And, and just creating space then for all that to be cleared out so that God can do something new. To welcome that, to welcome that fire. Amen. I'm not going to take too much more time. I don't feel like belaboring a thing, but I just, I'm lingering now on that image of that which is not useful being thrown into an unquenchable fire. I know that you may not feel like that this bears out in every text. I don't know how plenty things work. But I really can't stress this strongly enough, how much I believe at this point that even that which is thrown to the fire, I've never said this before in my life, but I feel it from my bones, and I'm all right with it. Even that which is thrown in the fire is not ultimately discarded. It's just not. Because what does the fire of God do if not take the elements of what was and allow it to become fuel, allow it to become the raw elements for something new that God is going to do into the world? That's what happens over and over again. Out of the ashes, God brings something else that is beautiful. So if the worst case scenario is that you're left in the hands of this God who is a consuming fire, oh man, I'm not saying there aren't reasons to be afraid of the fire. I still get afraid of the fire because the fire never leaves me as I am because the fire always reveals things to me that I don't want to be revealed you know, no matter how just and equitable I think that I am or I'm trying to be, the fire always reveals things that I don't want to see. But I'm so coming to believe that the fire of God is not destructive. The fire of God transforms. The fire of God transfigures to where I really am welcoming that fire at this point, you know, like I really am. It, the, the worst case scenario, that which is not useful, is thrown into the fire where a God of infinite love applies the heat so that even those things that seem the most unredeemable might yet be transformed into something that can be useful. And there's nothing he can't use. I'm not one of these people that believes that God orchestrates uh, tragedy. That is not my theology. So, you know, terrible thing happens. Children die. It's to teach everybody a lesson. I don't believe anything like that ever. I don't believe that God orchestrates tragedy. What I do believe that God does, though, is that God's always bringing beauty out of brokenness. And there's, while there's, and there's nothing that God can't leverage. How many times I've seen it, something that seemed so dark that you could not believe that something redemptive could come out of it. And yet still somehow the way that God is able to finagle beauty out of even the most impossible and awful things, God just does it over and over again. And that's why I really can say with the, in good conscience this morning, I really do believe that nothing is wasted. It's not. No experience, no sorrow, no pain, no loss. All of it becomes raw elements. God is able to transform and transfigure to do something new. Nothing gets wasted. Isn't that, I don't know if that's as exciting for you right now as it is for me, but it really is. You know how much that can let you off the hook to stop living with the amount of regret that you might be living with right now when you really come to believe that even out of your worst choices and your darkest moments that there's still something redemptive that God is doing out of that? 
doesn't mean you go back and do it again the same way. Just means that God in his goodness and mercy and providence, there's nothing that he won't use. Nothing he won't use. The ways that even my mistakes, that God has somehow turned those things around. The things that the enemy meant, I'm going Old Testament and Pentecostal right there. The things that the enemy meant for harm, that God somehow wrangled for good. Unbelievable how God is able to do that. And that's why this morning, this message of judgment ultimately really is intended to be one of hope. It's a message of hope. Look, right now there are some valleys in this world that we live in. There are some valleys in your life that are going to be exalted. And, some, and if there are some ways that we're still smugly sitting on top of the mountain, thinking that we've got it together and that we're on top of the world, you know, we probably ought to be brought down a peg. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Maybe it is the end of the world. Judgment is the end of the world, isn't it? But not in the way that we thought. Mountains being brought low and the valleys being exalted. That's what the rule and reign of God looks like. And that is what in Advent we welcome. Making space for God to come and level us out. Stand with me if you would. I'm in this weird flow this morning where I feel like I could just keep doing this all day. I'm like that sometimes. But I feel like to say too much more would be um, an injustice in its own right. Just want to take a few moments for us to pray and reflect. And um, I feel like I've said a lot of things, but I've really, I think in the end, kind of just said one thing. That if part of what Advent is about is welcoming the judgment of God and the justice of God. I just feel like there really is an invitation this morning to, to see this from a different point of view, that God's judgment is not a thing to be feared. You, you know when God's judgment is scary, this is what's so weird about it, right? The only time that God's judgment is bad is when you're resisting it. That's another idea that I think is much more clear in the Orthodox Church that I've come to really believe, that God's only posture towards humanity is one of love. But you know what? Even love is experienced as terror when you're resisting it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Heaven can be experienced as hell when you're resisting unconditional love. Man, I feel that in my something in my soul when I said that. Heaven is experienced as hell when you're resisting unconditional love. God's heart is always loving. God's heart is always to redeem and to restore. The only time judgment is bad news is when, you're to play, when we're stiff-necked and we resist it. But when we're pliant and we're open and we're available, it's not bad news because we, have, we trust the good character of God. Well, that's what I want to do. I want to trust the good character of God. God knows what he's doing. That God knows the old stuff that needs to be thrown out. And the other things that need to be made new. Maybe pruning isn't such a bad thing. Maybe having a bunch of dead trees in the yard isn't the best thing for us. <laughs> and it would be nice to get rid of some of that clutter. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not the end of the world, except it's kind of the end of the world. I'm going to pray for you. Lord... 
I want to pray a simple prayer today. I feel like we're in a moment in history where there is so much that is shaking. And I didn't mean to today. I almost feel like we're kind of brushing up against some, some prophetic things where I'm just, I'm just trying to talk about stuff. But really, there's such a weight to it today. Because uh, the fact of the matter is, there's so many ways that we are resisting your judgment and your justice. And some of us have been on the mountaintop, and we're screaming and protesting that the mountain can't be made low. We're still not seeing the ways in which people around us are still in valleys that need to be exalted. Advent can be good or bad news depending on where we're standing. But today, I just ask you, God, you would teach us how to welcome your judgment. You would teach us how to welcome your purifying fire. Thank you that your fire is a flame of love. Thank you, God, that your flame of love is able to take anything and everything that harms, that would distract, that would attempt to destroy, and to transform it. So this morning, we do just welcome you and your consuming fire. We pray that all that's in us that needs to be transformed and transfigured would be transformed. We trust you with that, God. Where we sense you shifting our desires, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and do that now. Where there are things in our lives, as painful as it might be to acknowledge, that are coming to a natural end, God, would you give us the grace to see where you, in your mercy, are laying the axe to the root of the tree. And instead of clinging on to an old form of life, allow that death to come that brings resurrection. So whatever things we need to bury today, whatever areas where there needs to be a funeral, God, we just bring all these things into your presence, knowing that in you there is always resurrection hope on the other side. And we trust your good intentions, your tenderness, your heart for your sons and daughters that are here. And finally, again, not wanting to drag a thing out, I would just invite you, if you felt comfortable with this, if this is stirring up anything in particular in you, that you feel like you need to just bring into the light of God's judgment and God's justice, to trust God in the, in the dying and in the living, to trust God's, God's good judgment for us, maybe just as a sign of that, just to lift our hands. I'm, I'm lifting my own because, and I know what that means for me. God, you see these things that I still am reluctant to trust you with, that I've still been holding a little bit too close. But God, we know that you are good. We trust that your character is good. We trust that your heart is good. We trust that your mercy will prevail even when we see no evidence of that in the world around us. We bring these things that we're clinging to and we yield them to you, Holy Spirit. We yield them and we invite you, God, come and put all things right. Come and make all things new. Where there are old things that need to pass away, give us the grace to not resist those changes. But instead, with open hands and open hearts, to welcome the new life that Advent brings.
Christ is coming. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming right now in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our ambiguity, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of everything that hurts. You are coming. You are coming for us again. And we welcome you, Spirit. We welcome you, King Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan. And in just a moment, if, if anybody wants, uh, if, if you want to get some prayer, we, we would like to invite you up here. Um, as I said earlier before Jonathan got up here, um, we're going to pass around the offering, and uh, just this is a love offering just going to him. And I, I just got to say, he's just, he's, uh, I really believe Jonathan's a, just got a, got a good voice in, in the times that we're living in and, and is really sharing some messages that the church needs to hear right now. And uh, so we've got an opportunity to help so, you know, uh, send him out of here. And so just uh, if, if, you, if you would like to, to uh, give an offering to that, um, just do that. We're just going to receive an offering real quick. So we'll pass around the, uh, the baskets real quick, and, we'll, uh, and if, if you uh, don't have any money on you, you can go to northshorevineyard.org, and anything that's uh, given right around now, we'll send it to them as well. So. North Shore, just make the checks out to North Shore Vineyard, uh, or you can go online to northshorevineyard.org and hit donate there. And I um, want to thank you for doing that. Thanks so much, Jonathan, for coming here with us. And uh, you, you got some of those books with you? No books. Okay. Well, uh, his book, if you're looking for a good Christmas present, you can pick it up on Amazon or somewhere else. Or you can maybe pick up the uh, uh, audio book uh, here shortly. So, uh it's called How to Survive a Shipwreck, and it is a fantastic. Jonathan is a, is a terrific writer. Uh, I'm going to hopefully uh, pick his brain, so I'm trying to write a book right now. So, uh, you know, get some, get some thoughts on how to do that right. So, all right, thank you all so much. If anybody needs any prayer, just feel free to come up to the front, and uh, hope to see some of you all next uh, Wednesday out at the trailhead. And we will be having our Christmas Eve service in, uh, on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock here. So if you want to make plans to join us for that. God bless y'all. See you later.